0: Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for revelation, even during a time of praise and worship and time of communion that you are speaking to us, you are opening our eyes, and you are dropping truth in our spirit and allowing, allowing us to see what we didn't see before. And I pray during this time that you would do just that as we open up this gift of the scriptures that you have given us. I pray that your anointing would be on our minds and our hearts and our ears, that we could see and we could hear by your Holy Spirit what you want us to see and hear. I pray that you allow me to speak words that are anointed and that are life giving today and that would communicate hope. Comfort and encouragement to each one of us today. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would say more than I say today. Pray in your name, and everybody said, Amen, amen. amen. Well, last Sunday, we talked about uh, being overcomers. In this journey of life, today we're talking about if God is for us. We'll get to that in a moment. If God is for us, of course, that's a as we'll get to it. That's kind of a rhetorical question. But but uh, this is this passage that we're going to read is a little bit of a parallel passage to last week's message. Uh, overcomers in this journey of life. It's kind of almost the same topic. Did I have a slide for that, William? I can't remember. No, I didn't. Uh, I I purposely didn't. That's okay. Uh, It's a parallel because it almost says the same thing, but it says it just a little different. Last week, we talked about uh, that we should uh, not be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. And we talked about the fact that evil is that which is useless or worthless that which is unproductive, that which doesn't produce in our lives, and goodness, or to be good, is that which brings a benefit. So in the Granger paraphrase, we would say that we should not be overcome with that which is unproductive or useless in our life, but we should overcome that uselessness with whatever brings benefit to those around us and to our life situation. If there's, Because goodness is not just being nice and not saying bad things to people. Goodness... It's bringing a benefit to people. And when you encourage someone, that's good because you brought a benefit to them. When you tangibly help someone, that's good because you brought a benefit to them. So don't overcome, be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. We also talked about not being overcome by the world, that we would overcome the world. Jesus said, uh, you're all right. You're going to be okay. I have overcome the world. You're going to have tribulations, but don't worry about that. I've overcome the world. And then we talked about overcoming the wicked one. We know who he is. And we talked about that last Sunday and that we are overcomers. It's not that we will be. We are. Everybody say we are. We are, we are overcomers. We need to live that way. And then. For us to ultimately not succumb to all that life throws our way, it is imperative that we embrace the truth of God being for us. God is for you. You say, well, that's, that's kind of you know, simple. An eighth grader or an eight-year-old could have done that. Well, the problem is too many of us don't believe that. Too many of us listen to voices that try to tell us that God is opposed to us. Every time something happens, we stub our toe. Well, God must be mad. Every time something doesn't go our way, we we get the report that we didn't want to hear. Well, what, I wonder what I did to make God mad. God's opposed to me. Well, the Apostle Paul in this passage asks five questions. And we're going to see that these questions and their answers will paint us as those who walk in God's favor and provision. We want to see this passage teaches us that God is on our side. As a matter of fact, I'm going to close out today's message with a, with a, a passage of just a few verses that's going to tell us that point blank. And so we're going to read uh, at Romans eight thirty one. if you want to turn there. Uh, by the way, some a couple of people have asked recently we we, we put it in the bulletin uh, second paragraph if you want to go into the u version app, go to more and then events and you 'll see abundant life church and the notes for today 's sermon are there. You can make your own notes you can save the notes there are several things you can do uh, or what or you can just follow along so romans eight thirty one if you stand with me while we read this passage uh, by the way, I heard Dr. David Jeremiah recently stated that the Romans 8 is the greatest book or chapter in the Bible. The greatest chapter in the Bible, Romans 8. So it would do you well to read the first 30 verses. But in 31, what then shall we say to these things? So if you'll read the first 30 verses, you'll see what these things are. If God is for us, who can be against us or who is against us? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword, as it is written, and this is from Psalm 44, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors. Say that with me. More than conquerors. Through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. You can be seated. I said, that doesn't light your fire, your wood's wet. in all these things. So Paul asked these five questions in this passage. We're gonna deal with these questions uh, as we go through. And the first question that he asked gives us the title today, and the question is, if God is for us, who can be against us? I started to uh, uh, bring a video from the Andy Griffith Show. (laughs) Where else would you get a video? There's an episode where Barney is feeling his vinegar, and he thinks he's tough. And uh, so he's confronting a guy out in the street uh, because he's had an experience where people have backed down from him. And he's going to confront the guy, and the guy starts to bow up a little bit, but he looks over Barney's shoulder, and who's standing right behind Barney? Andy Taylor. And all Andy did was, and the guy backed down, left, moved his truck, and uh, Barney thought it was all him. Yeah. Was a tear to me. I could... Who, who? If God's for you, if God's standing right behind you, and the devil comes calling, who's going to be against you? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what your strength is. It doesn't matter what your abilities are. As long as you got God standing there on your side, everything's going to be okay. You say, well, if this happened and that happened, and I had to go to the hospital, and I got there... You know, It's all going to be okay at the end of the day. Is it okay now? Yeah, it's okay now. It's okay now. And and really and truly, it it says if God be for us, or if God is for us, who could be against us? You would not be violating the veracity of the Scripture if you change that to since God is for us. Because it's a foregone conclusion that God is for you. Now, the devil, again, wants to tell you, and there are people here sitting in this room today, people watching online, that the devil has beat you up so bad by telling you there's no way God can be happy with you. There's no way God could be for you. And I want to tell you today that that is a lie. Amen. Let God be true. And every man a liar. Every demon a liar. Because God, what God says is true and He is for you. God is the one who chose you. Now, whether you believe that God. that if there's a limited atonement that God has chosen a certain number of people or a certain identification of people and the rest of them have their own problems or whether you believe that God chose you and he's, he's he's still in the choosing business. It matters not to me. The issue is if you are born again today, if you are born from above by the spirit of God, God chose you. You don't sound too chosen to me. God chose you. He could have chosen anybody. But he chose you. Revelation said those in heaven are the called, the chosen, and the faithful. You've been chosen. God chose you purposely, intentionally, without any thought processes. He chose you. He called you. He justified you. He he took you from where you were in a state of sin, and he justified you into a state of righteousness, the righteousness of Jesus. He glorified you. God is for you, and of course, Scripture teaches us that no weapon, everybody say "No no weapon. No weapon formed against you will prosper. It goes on to say, that and some other passages, it goes on to say the words of the people. What, is, what are, the, what are the m- most of the bombs that people launch your way? Words. Most of, the, most of the arrows that the enemy is launching toward you come in the form of words, criticism, condemnation, judgment. They're all words. But that weapon cannot and will not prosper. So when you say, if God is for us, obviously, that's a rhetorical question and it really requires no answer because if God be for us, since God is for us, who or what can be against us? Now you say, well, does that mean I can do anything I want to do and live any way I want to live? D- no, Romans 6.1. No, it means that God is on your side. You mess up, he 's still on your side now he 's going to help you get straight, and he might send somebody your way to help you get straight, or he might send a circumstance your way. we 're going to talk a lot about the love of God today, but, but Romans 12 I mean Hebrews 12 teaches us that the love of God is demonstrated in that He disciplines us. If God doesn't discipline you, if God doesn't uh, cause you to be disciplined when you need it, then you are an illegitimate child. Let me just tell you something. If you are born from above by the Spirit of God, if you've been regenerated and you have God's DNA in you, you are not an illegitimate child. So you can expect your father... To discipline you. Now, I know we don't want love to look like that. We want love to be syrupy and ooey gooey and all that. That's not what it is. It can be that, but that's not all that it is. Second question How shall He, God the Father, not with Him, Jesus the Son, graciously give us all things? Why or would God withhold from you? Would God withhold from you that which he has purposed for you? Well, I'm not good enough. Well, you weren't good enough to begin with. You weren't good enough to be saved. You weren't worth saving. I wasn't worth saving. And yet God, because of God, saved us. You know, we've talked about this before. He didn't look at any of us and say, "Now, there's a pretty good specimen right there." I, I think we, I think we got something to work with right there. Let's, let's, you know, wouldn't take much to clean that one up, make it work. You know, I've heard people say, "Well, boy, so and so could get saved. They could really." Well, sometimes that's true, but the truth is, we don't. God doesn't save us because of our usefulness. He doesn't save us because of anything to do with us. He saves us because of who he is. Thank God he does. And that's his love demonstrated. So how shall he withhold from us? It says that he did not spare his own son. It says that he delivered his son up for us all. So how in the world would he withhold his blessing, his favor, his encouragement, his power, his strength? How would he withhold all of that from us if he's going to give his only son and deliver him up for us all? And us all, everybody do this right here. That's part of the all. You're part of the all. He delivered Jesus up for you and for me and for humankind. Octavius Winslow was a contemporary of Charles Spurgeon, and he summed it up this way. Who delivered up Jesus to die? It wasn't Judas for money. It wasn't Pilate for fear. It wasn't the Jews for envy, but it was the Father for love, for agape. Because God so loved the world. Sometimes, this is extra. Sometimes we Christians don't love the world very much. Sometimes we look out there at the world and, and, and uh, all the things they're doing or not doing, and we don't have a lot of agape for the world. Some of you have watched headlines in the last couple of days, and there's parts of the world that you want to take a belt to. <laughs> See? And me too. But God so loved the world. That he gave his only son. He did not spare his son, but he delivered him up for us all. We can't, communion's not the only time that we need to be cognizant of that. Every day, every hour, we need to remember that in giving his son to us, he gave us everything. Well, God, I want a new car, I want a new house, I want a new set of clothes. All that's good. But that's not what he's talking about necessarily. He's saying he's going to give us all good things. Well, you can't get any better than a man give his life for you. As a matter of fact, most of us can, and I just did, quote John 3.16. But if you want to memorize a verse, memorize 1 John 3.16. This is how we know what love is that a man would lay down his life for his brothers. 1 John 3.16. Jesus did. He demonstrated that in giving his life. Third question. Who's going to bring a charge against those that God has chosen? Now think about that question. Who's going to bring a charge against those whom God has chosen? Well, first of all, you've got to remember, God chose us. God chose you, he chose me, he chose us. Well, I thought I chose God. Well, you got your theology backwards. Jesus told the disciples in John, I think it was 15, 16, uh, you, you didn't choose me. They didn't have enough sense to choose him. And if we'd have been there, we wouldn't have had enough sense to choose him. He said, you didn't choose me, I chose you. I laid my finger on you and chose you. I mean, he's walking down the seashore, and and Peter and Andrew and James and John are there working, sewing their nets and getting things ready to go fishing, and Jesus walks by. It wasn't the first time they met him, but they didn't expect to see him. He just walks by, and he said, Hey, uh, if you'll come follow me, I'll teach you how to fish for men. They knew how to fish for fish, but he said, I'll teach you how to fish for men. Well, naturally, they jumped up. James and John left their father Zebedee, They jumped up and started following Jesus. He chose them. And they were a mess. I mean, you got James referred to Peter, lopped off the guy's ear because he missed. And you got Peter who's impetuous and saying bad words at the trial. You got James and John who want to call down fire and thunder on people because they disagreed with Jesus' theology. Boy, I'm glad some of y'all can't do that. Really glad. Who's going to bring a charge against God's chosen people? Well, obviously, nobody. They can try. Pulpit commentary says, if, If neither God charges nor Christ the judge condemns, who can do either? If God's not going to charge someone, and if Jesus is not going to condemn us, who's going? To, who else can do it? The apostle next goes on to say that there being none to charge and condemn us at last, so also there is none that can remove us from our state of acceptance now. Who, who's going to remove me? Nobody. Who's going to remove me out of the confines of God's agape? No one. Who can bring that charge? It's God who justifies us. And if it's God who justifies us, all accusations will fall to the ground. The scripture identifies Satan as the accuser of the brethren, accuser of God's people. Those accusations fall to the ground. Why do they fall to the ground? Because they're making accusations against those whom God has chosen. If God has chosen you, he has justified you. And if God has justified you, there can be no accusation lobbed against you that will land. You say, but you don't know me. Well, you don't know me. You don't know what I did yesterday. I don't either because I can't Remember? It's nothing to do with that. It's God's righteousness, not ours. It's God's goodness, not ours. And as Don said, it's God's holiness, not ours. I'm glad of that. Fourth question is similar to that. Who is the one who condemns? Not only are you going to... Bring a charge against them, but who's, who's the one who's going to condemn you? Who's the one who's going to condemn me? Who's the one who's going to condemn the person sitting next to you? Well, he, Paul points out in this passage, he said, It is Christ who died and was raised to life. Well, we're getting a hint there. It's Christ who died, and he was raised to life on our behalf. In that instance, in that moment that we celebrate during communion, God condemned sin. By the way, God condemned our sin. Jesus had no sin. God had no sin. But God condemned our sin In the humanity of Jesus. In that moment, Jesus, the human being, was hanging on the cross, and in that moment, that human took the place of all humans and was the sacrifice for our sins, and he paid the price. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, by the way, the law was not weak. We're the ones that were weak, the flesh nothing wrong with the law what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh god did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin and he condemned sin in the flesh by the way we you know this but I'm going to say it anyway so it's, jesus knew no sin jesus was without sin he was tempted In every way that you and I are tempted, yet he was still without sin. So he came in the likeness of sinful flesh. Of course, at that moment on the cross when the father turned away and Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He had that moment became sin. He still had no sin of his own. But he assumed ours. Isn't it, is it interesting to you that in that moment, in that moment, he still addressed the Father as my God? My God. You know, we would have said, hey, what, what's, what's going on up there? Have you lost your mind? No, we, we would have. Jesus says, my God. Why have you forsaken me? Why do I not feel your presence at this moment? Why do I feel that you have turned away? Why do I feel that you are not looking upon me? And that's because he was. He didn't just take our sins, that's biblically accurate, but he was sin at that moment, and he bore our sin. His teach, the scripture teaches us that he redeemed us from the curse or the condemnation of the law. What is the curse of the law? The curse of the law is that we couldn't do it. The curse of the law is here's the standard. This is what God's righteousness expects of us. And the curse of the law is we can't get there. You can't get there. There are no amount of works Good works that you can do to earn salvation. There is no amount of works that you can do to get to that standard that is set by God's law. So that's the curse we run. But Jesus redeemed us from that curse by becoming a curse for us. Scripture says in the Old Testament, Cursed is he who hangs on a tree. Jesus became that curse. He hung on the tree and he died. Of course, here's the good part. He was raised to life. He didn't stay dead. He didn't stay. Without the resurrection, there's no salvation, people. Without the resurrection, the gospel is not complete. Jesus was raised to life after hanging on the cross for us. It's not just that he rose from the dead, but he was raised by God the Father through the power of the Holy Spirit. And he demonstrated in so doing God the Father's acceptance of the sacrifice that Jesus made on your behalf. And that is, by the way, the only satisfactory basis for our being justified. And that is that the Father vindicated the Son by raising him from the dead, having been The embodiment of sin. And yet, when Jesus died and was buried, our sins were buried with him. When Jesus went into that tomb, and Joseph of Arimathea and Zacchaeus, when they went into, not Zacchaeus, Nicodemus, I knew it ended in us. But when they took that body, Zacchaeus was too short. He couldn't have done it. (laughs) I tell my wife sometimes, I said, you're too short to hear what I'm saying. It goes right over your head. (laughs) Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus took that body, and they took it down to that tomb which belonged to Joseph, and they placed it in that tomb. Our sins were were buried with him. But when he was raised to life, where were the sins? They were cast as far as the east is to the west. They were cast into the sea of forgetfulness. They, the, they, they didn't just disappear, but they, their uh, penalty, their debt, had been satisfied. And so he walked out of that tomb, I assume he walked, he could have flew out, I don't know. He walked out of that tomb minus our sin. They were gone, they were paid for. And here we are today in 2021, mully grubbing around, worrying about every little old thing and, and, and every little old problem that we have and hang up that we have and God's got to be mad at me because I stubbed my toe last week. All this nonsense and Jesus left your sins in the tomb or they went somewhere but they didn't come out with him. That's why Romans 6 can say, if we've been buried with him in baptism, we shall be raised in newness. Everybody say Newness of life, new life. He was raised from the dead. Paul teaches us in this passage that he is now at the right hand of the Father making intercession on our behalf. This is old school theology. It's not the first time you've heard that, but maybe you have forgotten that you have an advocate making intercession for you with the Father. Jesus' uh, presence at the Father's right hand is evidence of a completed work of atonement. His, His presence there is a testimony that his work was completed and was successful. Hebrews says, after making purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Why could he sit down? Because it was done. Nothing else left to do. It was a completed work. And he, and when it was really finished then. So who can condemn you? The only one that could condemn you and the only one that could condemn me is the one who died. He's the only one that has the right. And as he said to the woman Caught, quote unquote, in adultery, neither do I condemn you. But he did say, now go sin no more. Don't keep doing what you've been doing, but I'm not going to condemn you. Romans 8, 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. No condemnation. Who can condemn you? Only one person could or two, the Father or the Son, and neither do. Which brings us to our fifth question, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? It's interesting that he says, who shall separate us, but then he goes to identifying what? <laughs> who shall separate us from the love of Christ? From God's agape and all that that means. He said, Can, will tribulation... We talked about this a little bit last week. Shall tribulation separate you from God's agape? Tribulation is pressure from the outside. Tribulation would be outside circumstances that would squeeze you. It's uncomfortable in that sense to be squeezed. I squeezed my little short wife one time. And I cracked a rib. Hers, not mine. I cracked two ribs. See that? Who's counting? So sometimes squeezing can be uncomfortable. And when we're talking about what tribulation, pressure from outside, distress. He says, "Can distress separate us from God's love?" Distress is is narrowness, a narrowness of room. Uh, or a calamity. It's, it's, a, it's a close confines. Have you ever been in a situation? Some of you are in one now. When you felt like the walls were right here. And they were about to collapse on you. That's distress. Is, so will pressure from the outside or will a narrowness of room? Can it separate you from the love of Christ? Can persecution Can persecutions, which means to put one to flight, to make us flee, make us run. I had a friend one time who was a runner, and I called his house, and his wife answered the phone. She said, well, he's out running, preparing for a marathon. I said, you tell him that the Bible says only the wicked are running when nobody's chasing them. But persecution is, the, is people are chasing you. Maybe not in reality, but figuratively speaking, people are chasing That's person. Is that going to separate us from the love of Christ? Famine or nakedness. Now, we don't want to get too graphic here. But we're just talking about having a lack, a lack of food, a lack of clothing, a lack of necessities. Would that separate us from the love of Christ? Would we want to be separated? Would we be angry at God if we're in tribulation and distress and persecution, danger, or sword? Again, this is all in the passage. Is here's the question: Is suffering a sign that God doesn't love us? No, it's an obvious answer. But Let me just, let's just be real. Sometimes we act like that. Sometimes we act like things are not going good. What did, okay, what did I do? i ought not to confess this, but we watched the whole series of Everybody Loves Raymond. And And I love it when the older brother, Robert, would come in. And of course, you know, Raymond's always done something. And Deb, Deborah, his wife, was upset about something. And Robert, the big goon that he is, was. He would come in and he would say, What did you do? Because he knew Raymond did something. And when we, when we have things happen in our lives, we, we want to know, What did we do? Or as Urkel said, Did I do that? I watch too much TV, don't I? Paul quotes Psalm 44, 22, to remind us the suffering has always been a part of God's package. For your sake, we're being killed all the day long as we are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. It's always been part of the, part of the deal that we have opportunity to suffer with Jesus Christ and for him. By the way, these sufferings have no power to subdue us. No power. In all these things, he finishes out this passage. In all these things, everybody say, in all these things. All these things. We are more than conquerors. This is, this is the, as, as this musical piece began in verse 31, we are reaching a crescendo as we reach the end of the passage. And the crescendo peaks when we find out that we are more than conquerors. More than conquerors, the word there, and I don't do this very often because I don't want you to think, I do know, I do know, I told you this, I do know a little Greek. He has a sandwich shop in New Orleans. <laughs> but, I, but I can read. Hooper, Nakeo, And that's not speaking in tongues, that's just the word, Hooper. Nikeo is the word, and actually, the words more than conquerors, it's just one word in the Greek Hooper Nikeo. Hooper, H U P E R, anytime you see that in Greek, it means over or over and above. Whatever. You know, then the next part of it tells you what you're over and above, over and above. And last week, we dealt with the word nakeo, which simply means to conquer or to have victory in the face of obstacles. So if you combine those two, you get this word, to conquer over and above. So we are not just conquerors in the passage we're reading today. We are over and above conquerors. Now, let me just identify for you that if you're going over and above something, it may not disappear. As I said last Sunday, sometimes God will take the thing away from us that's facing us, but sometimes he just gives us the grace to go over it. It's one who is super victorious, who wins more than an ordinary victory, Overpowering in achieving abundant victory, in other words there's no doubt about it, no doubt about it that if you're more than a conqueror, you have went over and above whatever's and that again it may be there, it may still be there it 's like I like to say that you might find yourself in the middle of a storm, but the key. Is not that you get out of the storm. The key is to make sure that the storm does not get in you. You can be in the middle of a storm without the storm getting in you, without without affecting you and how you respond. Our circumstances might not change, but our position does, where we are in relation to it. Verse 39 is the answer of finality when he says height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And that's every facet, every aspect of the love of God. Christian people are not guaranteed immunity to temptation, tribulation, or tragedy, but we are promised victory over them. Everybody say over. Over. God's pledge is not that suffering will never afflict us, but that it will never separate us from his love. We can make it. I'm going to finish by reading Psalm 124. It's a very short psalm, but I want you to hear these words. If you're taking notes, uh, you might want to write that down. If you're looking at the notes in U Version app, I think they're already there. This Bible used to have a Psalm 124 in it. It's got a lot of Psalm 119 in there. I can tell you that. Here we go. Let this be our testimony i tell you what, why don't you stand while I read this and we'll dismiss. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side. Already good, isn't it? Let Israel now say, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side, when people rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us up alive. When their anger was kindled against us, Then the flood would have swept us away. The torrent would have gone over us. Then over us, don't miss more than conquerors, over and above, over us would have gone the raging waters. Blessed be the Lord who has not given us as prey to their teeth if God is for us. We have escaped Like a bird from the snare of the fowler. The snare is broken. and We have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. The Lord is on your side. And because of that, we are more than conquerors. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that you, by your grace, power, strength, that you make us more than conquerors. That you cause us to excel. You cause us to rise above whatever circumstances we're facing. We thank you that nothing, pressures, distresses, persecutions, none of these things can separate us from your love. That redeems us and molds us and makes us and cares for us. Even disciplines us. That we thank you for the love of God and that nothing can separate us from that from that agape. Lord, as we go through life and we live our lives, we are often faced with less than desirable circumstances. Sometimes from situations, many times from bad choices we've made. Sometimes from people, Lord. We thank you that none of that, none of that can subdue us. And that at the end of the day, no matter what we face, we are more than conquerors. And we will live that way. We pray for more grace. We pray for more strength. We pray for more power as we walk this walk of the Christian life. Lord Jesus, I thank you for those under the sound of my voice today. And what they have received from you, your Holy Spirit. That we would walk out of here with a deposit that we did not walk in here with. I pray in the name of Jesus and everybody said, God bless you. You're dismissed.